Repeat, the weekly podcast giving you an insight into the minds of musicians with me, Ellie Rashid. And me, Hattie Winter. This week, we're getting into the world of hip-hop and performance with Nigel, aka Prez96, who's had an eclectic career spanning across all facets of the music business. From battle rapper to hype man to producer in his own right, with Nigel, you name it, he's done it. His latest challenge has been co-composing the music with theatre production, Canary in the Crow, plus he facilitates workshops for young people at the award-winning mobile studio, Beats Bus. And in this episode, we touch on his career journey. Nigel lets us in on working with young people and creating workshops, how to feel the fear and do it anyway. And of course, the challenge of collaborating and producing. So, kicking off the interview in true on repeat fashion, here's a selection of Nigel's beat, All Good, to get you in the mood for the rest of the podcast. My name's Nigel. Um, I go by the name of Prez96. I am a composer, an actor, and workshop facilitator based in home. That's it, man. So I, I used to be in like doing finance and oh, it was it was good money, but it was just it was just dry. So I did that for like maybe four years. And then we set Beats Bus up, and about a year into having Beats Bus, and it was going well. Um, I just made the jump. So I think I've been self-employed musician or just hustler for about a year and a half now, which is cool. So before before finance then, were you doing music as well? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I used to be in a band called uh, End of Level Baddie. And we used to like we used to like wear masks and play like alternative electro and I was a front man, a bit of a producer. Um and we did that for like I mean, yeah, for about eight, eight, ten years. We had a good lifestyle out of it. Met a lot of cool people. And mm. yeah, it was blessed. Um, but then I really got into, my mates really were like, you need to get teaching, teaching young people about making music. And I was like, oh, that sounds a bit dry. I just want to be like, I just want to be a star. <laughs> and um, working with young people is addictive and it's really rewarding. And once I gave it a try and realized that's probably more, more my gift so yeah I've been doing that consistently and and doing really well I'm I'm happy no that's that's amazing because we've we've been speaking to a few people who also are musicians with that kind of educator background and I'm a music practitioner as well and I I think what you're saying about just kind of wanting to be a star at first is so common so many people have that and they think teaching is this kind of backup option. But when you get into it, you realize that actually this is like, this is all part of the craft. For real. What what was what were your first steps with teaching? Yeah, well, my best mate, he was a tutor. Oh, he still is. And he still is my best mate. But yeah, he, he was um, getting a lot of bookings doing these hip hop workshops. And um, he was kind of like formulating his own way of doing stuff 
um, really focusing on a positive mindset through hip hop. And like, I'm a positive guy. And he was like, man, you, you rap and you're a positive guy. And you know, you get on with people and stuff. You, you need to get into this. So, um, and I think he bugged me for months, but I was like, I was real focused on trying to scrape back onto radio one and one extra, like in sporadic chunks and stuff like that. And, and then eventually, yeah, I just went down to do a couple of workshops with him. And um, I was like, yeah, this is really blessed. Like, you know, we we have a wealth of knowledge and these young people are really interested and will get a lot of benefit out of what we're doing. Um, and yeah, I just, I really did actually, I know it sounds cheesy, but I just fell in love with teaching. Um, and I, I, obviously I come from, a, I did a lot of personal development. You know, I did like two years where, I was just like insanely obsessed with personal development. So I read loads of books on like positive mindset. I literally changed my life and I fashioned that into like a workshop um, for young people. And then now, and then that, that was, and that was what I was doing before, doing this one workshop, which was about what goes on in your mind before you do a show and how you overcome nerves and obviously how you deliver a great show. Awesome. Yeah. And then after that, once I've worked out how to do that, now I just sort of freestyle my lessons a lot. It's a lot more relaxed. I've been doing it for years, well, a couple of years now. And yeah. I just get in a room and just see what people want to do and just make something up, which works. That's amazing. Jeez. What what are the exercises of uh of combating your your fears, getting over your nerves? Because I, I feel like I'm nervous all the time. Yeah, Any so. tips? Yeah, <laughs> I, I want the tips as well. For real, <laughs> step one is obviously just accepting that you are going to be nervous, and it's a normal thing. And I feel like when you try and fight it, it's like you've got nerves, and then you're beating yourself up for being nervous, and it's just too too much going on. And I think as well, I'm really just accepting that what will be will be. Everyone that's coming to see you perform usually are positive people. And you need to obviously remember that the crowd is also a bit nervous as well. It's a bit mad. Like the crowd, if you get up on stage and they can see you're nervous, they get a little bit nervous. And I feel like just teaching that the crowd is like kind of like a mirror and just play with it and just go out and just be as confident as you are and you will always get that confidence back. And then there was like a, a few other things, um, like actual things that I'd advise, like practice makes perfect. The more practice you do, the less nervous you're going to be. So if you're kind of winging stuff, that's where your nerves come from. But if you know your stuff and you know your craft and uh, you're, it will help you to be confident. So that's it in a nutshell. That is amazing. And I, I totally agree with the, the practice. The more practice that you have under your belt, the better you feel. It is important for people to know that A, it's, it's an everyday thing to be nervous and B, the more practice you do, the less nervous you're going to feel. So do your work before you get on stage and enjoy it. It's, it's such an interesting thing though, actually, what we're talking about, because it's something that seems so obvious, but it's almost forgotten about when we teach because you think, oh, we need to be teaching about the technicalities of the music and um, there's not very much about like how to hold yourself on stage in relation to confidence. And I liked what you were talking about with the kind of energy mirror and um, the way audiences soak up what you give. And 
I've definitely had it on stage where, do you know, I will actually feeling like I'm going to piss myself because I'm so nervous. But if you can give off some kind of air of confidence, it does make a difference, you know? For like, real, man. It really does. But it's such, no credit to you though, because it's such a difficult thing to kind of hone in on that point and then find creative ways of demonstrating it. And um, I think that's wonderful. I want to be part of your workshop. Oh man, we'd like to have yeah. you down, man. Help me, like, <laughs> um, me in. Yeah, I mean, we are actually, well, we've, we've got some seed funding to research um, into a new project, which is, we're thinking it's going to be called the Hip Hop School of Excellence, but there's, there's various issues why we can't call it a university, we can't call it a school. So we don't know what it's going to be called. But yeah, the aim is to have some lessons with people. It's not just about music. It's about healthy eating. It's about personal development. Um, it's about rehabilitation into society. So we're just doing a research project now on seeing what we can offer that is going to give people a better chance of getting back into mainstream education and mainstream society. Um, mm. So, yeah, you know, that there's lots of really interesting things coming out with that soon. Fingers crossed. Are you already working with kind of... Um young people that are on that outside of education yeah, of course. Is that, uh... that, that's our that's what we're really bothered about do you know what i mean like you go into schools and then you're like yeah well this is this is good um but where are the kids that aren't already in school oh they're in the community center so you go down to the community center and you're like yo this is what we do we're positive we're hip-hop you know we like making music and then they're like oh yeah this is really good but then there's loads of kids that aren't in school or the um, community centres. And they're the people that we really mm. want to work with because either you, you kind of preach into the converted with the kids already in school. They're already, they're, they're already going along the track and that's where we want to. Yeah. So when we realised that we just realised that, look, let's just go to an estate. We've got a big 7.5 ton bus with speakers and it's all graffitied and stuff. And we'll just go to an estate, we'll play music and we'll just spread a positive message. And those are the people we want to connect with. The people that are just hanging around. Um, yeah. And as, mm -hmm. as everyone knows, you know, you know how it is. If, if you ain't in school, you're hanging around, you know, 80% of the time, you're just going to end up in the wrong hands. And that's what we're trying to avoid. These guys like that, they're, they're experts at finding kids that have got nothing better to do and obviously sell them whatever dream they're trying to sell them for whatever personal gain they're trying to get. And they are, they, you know, they, I would say they are dangerous people. Like they are, they really do pray and, and prey on people that are just not in mainstream education. They know what to say, give them little gifts Oh, look at this guy. He's got really nice clothes. And it's all it's all manipulation, really. I know we're getting a little bit deep here, but this is where this is the exact core of people that we're just trying to bring back and take them to safety, really, through hip hop. It really reminds me of some conversations I've had um with my some of my music facilitation peers. Um we went to a conference uh uh that was run by a company called Roadworks. They, they say very similar things, um, but their focus is drill with, um, with basically, I think it's just men, 
um, age sort of around 16, 17, 18. It's exactly that kind of thing. But I also think picking a genre like hip hop is, is really amazing because you're really listening or doing what, what they want to do, hopefully. And is that something you thought of or is it something that you knew you could do well? Or I'm just interested in the, in the hip hop now. I really respect and I love the fact that there are people out there that are doing what we're doing through drill music. I feel like a age group thing, you know, we're mid thirties. So hip hop was what we kind of grew up with and what we know more. And also with hip hop, it's it's about the five elements. So you've got the, the DJ, um, the graffiti guy, the rapper. You've also got someone that does breakdancing and then you've got someone that's the guy that deals with knowledge. So the reason why we chose hip hop really is because it accepts everybody that's got a skill really. Like, you know, um, we've got like people we mentor. Some people don't like rapping. They don't like it. But give them an iPad and they'll design a cover for a single that one of the other kids is going to put out. So I feel like hip hop is real. It's just inclusive. Like, you know, some guy that, he, you know, we've got a graffiti guy who does all our branding. He's amazing, but he can't DJ. He can DJ, actually. Um, <laughs> one time we did a, we did a No More Knives um, launch and it was with the police. And like, I I was, we were all networking like crazy. So I was like, oh, do you mind jumping on the decks? And obviously we can, you know, we're doing, and this guy, honestly, he just played NWA F the police. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> he thought it was hilarious because he is, that's how he is. You know, he's against like establishment and stuff, which is cool. We like that. We like that little bit of um, stuff. But yeah, anyway, yeah. So no matter who you are, as long as you've got a talent, drawing, dancing, whatever, there's space for you in hip hop. Um, and I, I'm not sure I'd be able to translate that to drill very easily. Um, just maybe because that's not, what I know really well, but yeah, some people, especially the sixteeners, are like, "Oh, hip hop." Mm. It's a bit dated, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I think it's dated. Oh my god! It's well, it's like the for grand real. grandparent of of drill, essentially. Yeah, for real, and and it's great because people are being able to pick up where we're not, um, where we're not able to excel, which is really cool. Sorry, so I'm going to check these people out. <laughs> Yeah, we're too old, man. Like, <laughs> I can't, you know what I mean? <laughs> Grind, yeah. Drill, oh, come on, man. Like, I, I don't even, I, I can't, no, it's not for me, man. I can't do it. I love what you're saying about hip hop being inclusive as well. And what about ages then? So what kind of, um, what's the age range of the workshops that you do? And how inclusive is hip hop to all of those ages? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've done workshops recently that was for over 65 and like no, oh, wow. yeah, uh, it was probably like yeah. Shout That's to them, amazing. shout to them. It was probably my favorite uh, workshop I ever did. It was emotional, man. Like, like even from the start, my my mate, my business partner, um, he's like our camera guy, um, and he was taking pictures, and he was saying, "Oh, ladies, do you mind? Obviously, if we take pictures of you." And one of them even said, "Like, no one ever wants to take pictures of us." And I never even oh, thought about oh. it, you know, because obviously when you ask children, they're like, 
Yes. They're all used to phones. Here I am. Exactly. Yeah. It's something that is. And, and then I realized, yo, we're doing something here because she was like, and I was like, really? She's like, yeah, nobody, we don't, nobody really notices us. And that's, what, I know, you know what I'm saying? It's a bit emotional. Nobody notices us. And um, anyway, we did this uh, amazing workshop where we just talked about their lives and mm. we asked about just fully about their experiences. There was nothing to do with Beats Bus. We just had an hour talking to them about what they wanted to talk to. And then we turned it into a rap and he all performed it. And I feel like they really got a lot of benefit out of it. And so did we. Um, but at the same time, we've done, you know, workshops. I think probably our average age is probably from 10 to about 15. They're probably the main ages that we uh, mentor. Cause we mentor kids as well, where if you come and you do a workshop and, you know, you're cool and we all get on. We'll just, we'll mentor you for free. So we'll give you free studio time. Uh, we'll produce your tunes. We'll give you gigs and stuff. So, yeah. That's amazing. And it's also really amazing to to see, well, to hear about something that's not going on in London. Because mm. I do find that so much sort of music outreach is happening in the capital. And I get it. There's, you know, 9 million people in London. There's a, you know, there's a big demand. But yeah, so much can just only be happening here. And I just think so many young people probably do miss out because they're just that much too far. They can't get to London easily for, for workshops and events. So it's really good to see something going, particularly in like the North as well. Yeah. And whole, whole like, yeah, it's not, it's not, I mean, yeah, we have actually been down to London to do some workshops and people like, oh, this is amazing. Like I was like, you, I, I was just assuming that you'd have loads of people like this, but you know, we're kind of lucky because I suppose the people on the bus you know, we really genuinely love what we do. And I think that that, mm. that carries across well. But yeah, you're right. The reason why it is a bus is so we can go places. Um, mm. And that's what it was designed for, to be mobile and go to estates where, you know, they don't have the opportunity to go to, to the city centre and um, do workshops. So yeah, it's nice that, you know, that's been noticed. Definitely. Definitely. It's also really good that you're working with the over 65s. I think particularly with what's going on. Um, I think I saw some of their like the most like lonely kind of sector of society, which is really, really, really sad. For real, man. For real. It, it was, yeah, it was, it was emotional work, workshop and it still is emotional because we're still in contact with a lot of them. We're still looking to do some work with some of them. And, and some of them used to be like, used to be able to, not used to, but some of them like trained to play keys. And then when we brought the keyboard in it, they were, I could see one of the ladies were just looking at it and I was like, do you know how to play? And she was like, she was unsure. But then obviously we just showed her the bass line and she's playing, people are singing over. And I think that's also really important for people to realise like how blessed and gifted you are. And just because you haven't been, you know, called up to do a gig or on stage recently, you shouldn't lose a bit of your shine and that's what we try and bring out with people as well i want to know a little bit more about your music making 
because you were saying that uh, initially yeah. you wanted to be a star and things like that. Um, so, so where did that start um, on your music making front? Um, all right, yeah. So my first like my first live, well, the first thing I ever did was I was a battle rapper. So oh, sick. Um, yeah, I know, man. Like, I, and I really enjoyed it because I think there was a time where. You could just get on stage. You could just battle someone. It was all genuine freestyle. You look at someone and say, have a format. So I would laugh at someone's hair. Definitely the t-shirt, any dead trainers or whack jeans. And that, that's the only <laughs> format I'd have. If you brought some friends to the club or girlfriends, they would get laughed at. And it and honestly, it was so fun. In fact, my business partner now, that's how we met. We met at MC Battle and um, we had such mutual respect because um, I thought I was going to, I beat him, but the next guy, he he just killed me. He was just amazing and he, he's still like a mentor to me. And it's amazing that we all met at MC Battle and 15 years later, um, he's my best mate. We're running the business together. He's been around my house today. Um doing some, helping me do some gardening. And there was a lot of mutual respect with MC battling, but unfortunately it just reached a stage where the skill level started going down and the ego level started going up. And it just kind of got really ruined. Um, it only, in, I'm only speaking from where I was based in Hull. So unfortunately the hip hop, there were loads of fights. And then what happened was, <clears throat> The, the the club owners started to really profile hip hop events. So we just got shut down. Like it must've been a couple of years where only one small club would ever, ever allow a hip hop night. Um, so naturally what everyone does is go underground and start doing other stuff. So then um, my, my mate was, he was a producer. He's called End the Level Baddie. Very quirky. A lot of it was like Beastie Boys remixes, hard electro. And I was just a front man for him as well. So yeah, after, after obviously um, he'd been, a, he would get all his simps out and he'd have actually like a tower, you know, them old school computer towers. And he'd have simps all over the table and masks he would wear. And, and then I would just join him as an MC. And it was just really simple lyrics like, clap to the rhythm and skank, nothing too difficult to understand, but it was all about getting people together and having good energy and good vibes and encouraging people to, to party really. Um, and then that, yeah, I did that for like maybe about 10 years and, you know, I really learned a lot about performing on stage. Um, I mean, you go to some raves and there might be two people there and he's got his computer Simps everywhere. We've both got our masks <laughs> and there's two people. And I learned a lot about myself on that time. And that's when I realized the crowd is a mirror because it was that empty. I just said to him, let's just go for it. Let's just give it our rule. Like, let's just go over the top. And these two people became four and they just, they were that close to us like that for the whole gig. Yeah. And like, it was weird, but, um, it was weird. And I realized at that point that if I had just gone and been like, oh, let's just get through it. This is really embarrassing. 
they would have been embarrassed for us. So that's where I realized that the crowd, and that's part of the, the teaching that I, I teach now, um, came from that. So yeah, I started off as a battle rapper, moved into electro, and then I started getting into production. Um, just because on Beats Boss, we didn't have a producer. And, um, so I started getting into, uh, production, um, using Ableton, um, started, you know, really getting my head around Ableton. Then I found Native Instruments and um, started using them, uh, their instruments, because obviously the sound quality was just massively jumped up when I got into NI stuff. And then, like, just, hey, it is what it is, man. <laughs> like, people say, what are the main things that have helped you? And definitely sound quality is a big thing. It just, it makes you look, and sound professional. Um, you can be like I was doing stuff using old breaks and stuff, and it's all really good, but everyone wants quality at the moment. Um, and then I started doing some storytelling hip hop, and a theatre company picked up uh, a song that I'd done, and they were like, "Oh, you can make hip hop and tell stories." And I directed the video; it was like five minutes long, um, and they really liked it. So then I started. Uh, writing music for musicals and that's kind of where I'm at now I mean most of my work yeah it's about 50 50 that is amazing you have such an amazing like career history I was looking I was looking forward to talking to you and being like how does it work with finance but you you quit the finance and you're doing all these amazing things which are like 10 times better than the finance yeah yeah and you know obviously not having any work um, has been sad, but some of the theatre companies paid me for the work anyway. So um, I'm really grateful to them. We've not really, well, they, they don't mind me sharing the information, but I've not said too much about it. But yeah, like from the bottom of my heart, I'm grateful. Um, so it's just allowed me really to to just focus a bit more now on composing. So we're writing another musical called There Should Be Unicorns. And it's about, it's about young people and it's about hip hop. Um, and it should have been, it should have, I had you, I had you down to be coming actually. It should have been demoed on May the 2nd and it should be on tour now, um, which is a big shame, but uh, I think it's been pushed back till next year. So we will see, hopefully this virus will just get off. <laughs> I want to come, man. I want to go. Yeah, I, we had like two months of solid touring lined up um, from all over the country. We, you know, we were going to be in Brighton for a week. And it was just like, we're really looking forward to, you know, just playing them sort of things. But, you know, unfortunately it's not, it's not happening, but there is going to be a lot of life of Canary and the Crow. So I don't want to say too much, but yeah, fingers crossed. Um we're gonna we're gonna see it evolve into a, a new format, which we're really excited about. But who knows what's gonna happen with the theatre industry? Yeah. Oh, tell me about it. My my best um actually has he probably the same as me. I've got so many actor and director friends, and I just feel like really worried for them. They're such talented people sitting at home, and I think we're we're quite yeah. lucky as musicians, really. Like you were saying, yes, we can't do our normal work and carry it out in the way that we might have done, but it's been an amazing time to write more, yeah, for real. Like compose more, 
and uh like you were saying like the podcast we're doing have just been like a blessing and I've been I actually had like a moment yesterday of just feeling really like just like completely blessed <laughs> about it like yeah, I was I think we both did right we both I think we both like, simultaneously oh <laughs> I don't know what it is about us two actually we do have these simultaneous moments so like whether it's both been like oh shall we talk another time I'm actually really tired <laughs> or just like I'm feeling so blessed about this whole thing how lucky are we that we're able to do this in this period come in but no that's um that's amazing some I don't know if you found this actually I've definitely found it like it's such a nightmare if you're collaborating with someone um on the music side so I'm sure like composing on your own maybe or maybe I don't know for example like if you if you make a beat and someone else does lyrics on top fine that's fairly straightforward but I've got a really complex album I'm trying to do like and we've already recorded the stuff in the studio so we're trying to select like certain vocals and instruments and like figure out arrangements it's so hard to do over the phone yeah I'm I'm telling you now it it killed me try we were we we are still right well in fact I said we need to like just hold off until we can get back into the room together because I was trying to write a whole nother musical as well and I was like "I, I know your pain it's like it's like making it's like you're trying to make a curry and you've got three chefs and three separate kitchens. And yes, it's like, yes, I love that. I also love that. I love curry and yeah. I love that analogy. And like this guy, like I like lentils, but there's too many in it. And then the next guy's like, oh, I, I wanted it more tomatoey. So, but when, when you're in the room, I feel like we never appreciated how good it is to write music together where you can just look at someone and say, are you feeling this? Are you feeling? Yeah. 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 And I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, yeah. Working remotely as a musician, um, is quite good, but if you're doing a collaborative project, it's very difficult to be fair. And we should be grateful that one day we can get back and sit with people and we'll be together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> look them in the eye, yeah. not over Zoom. Yeah. yeah. When you look and- someone in the eye, like you feeling it? He's like, nah, I don't like it. It's only a two minute job. You can write something else. Arcola Theatre in London and were you anywhere else was that yeah so before the Arcola we were at Edinburgh <clears throat> Edinburgh Fest Fringe Festival so we were there for a month and then like we did like a tour with Payne's Plough who is they're like a really great facilitator of like new theatre I suppose so we did a tour with them where we went to like loads of different places <laughs> I can't remember many but like Bournemouth and Salford and kind of like small places um, a few seaside places. It was cool. It was cool. And, you know, we went and we showcased the same show, but in so many different places and had so many different responses. But what was amazing is when we went down to London, we felt like, yo, this was, we felt like this was the home of the show. And that's no, that's not throwing a shade to Edinburgh because we had an amazing, unbelievable run in Edinburgh. But when we went to London, like, we felt like it was good vibes and the story was something that was important to be told. So yes. yeah, for the, for the yes, listeners, definitely, definitely. Um, the story is about a black boy um, that gets accepted into a prestigious school 
And it's about the unsaid racism that he faces and the journey that he has to go through um, through his identity. It's like, do you leave behind um, your culture in order to fit in in a society? And if you do do that, are you going to be happy with the results? So that's realistically what the story uh, was about. And I felt in London, it was a younger, you know, a bit more urban audience. Like the music is grime, is is based around soul, grime and hip hop. And I felt like it played into the hands of what people and garage, old school garage, um, that people wanted to hear. And I just felt like the the response in London was really special. I think I think you've definitely hit the nail on the head that it, it maybe it suited London quite a lot because it's such a such a pertinent story that like, I really resonated with it because I went to like a just like a crappy comprehensive I mean I look back and I'm like it was mad but you know you you grow up through it and it's normal and then I went to it was six women in ex grammar school it was like just totally like a whole new experience for me. Here were people who were like, both of their parents were university lecturers. Yeah. I was like, that is just a, it's a totally different world from what I grew up in and what I knew. And I definitely didn't feel I, I fit in very well. And then I think with London, poverty and wealth side by side. And I don't know if you get it so much in other cities. London is so divided like that. And then I also think looking back on it, it was a very timely story for what's going on right now. Mm. And, yeah, that's the thing with Dan. Um, Dan is like Dan is a writer who's also um, the an actor and the lead, and the story is a you know it's it's really about himself. Obviously, there's some some license where he's maybe dramatized things, but the actual story is pretty accurate to his life. Um, like um, we we've played shows, and some of people from his school have come. And they were like, oh, I remember that happening and stuff like that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of truth in it. And I feel like, like me and Dan are really different people. I let a lot of stuff just go over my head. I, you know, I'm not, sometimes I'm not really a present person, but Dan really internalizes these things and and asks himself, why did this happen? And what does it mean to me? And it's all those little things that most people skate over. I feel like that's why it's resonated with people because <clears throat> those little things translate to everybody's story. And it's sometimes it's not even about being black or white. It's about being other. And he was saying like a woman who walks into their workplace for the first time has that feeling. And I never even thought about that. You know, like I've always worked in environments where there's a lot of men, a lot of lads. And then like when a, a woman or a female walks in, all of a sudden the air changes and obviously from her point of view, it makes her feel outside of that group. And yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm in the show, um, but I can't take credit. I do think the writing is really good and credit to Dan. I think he's won some quite a few awards and I can, yeah, I can see why it's yeah. really good. Now we need to come up with something even better. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Dan. Yeah. The bar set so high. Thinking about like the music side, how did you change your approach to kind of composing for a production? Did, was was there much change or was it kind of the same? Oh, big change, yeah. It was a it was a massive it was a jump jump up in skill. Like 
where I was, like, just say on the timeline of being a great producer, I was like on number 30 and I got in the room with these cello. I had Rachel. Um, she's on like, she's on the, the top grade you can get on cello and piano. So, and then you've got Laurie who's on like whatever is a grade eight on, on cello um, through the other composer. Again, he's like, they're all virtuosos. And they're like, what can you play? And I'm like, uh, the computer. <laughs> and um, yeah. And do you know what? Halfway, I think on halfway through, um, right in Canary in the Crow, I was like, that's when I switched over to native instruments. And I had to, I went down on a training course to SSR on for a, a, a three day intensive course came back and just started writing everything on native. So even that was very awkward because everything in the room is so quick. They're like, some Dan will be reading the text and then the cello people just be like quickly knocking out these rhythms. And then there's me trying to like capture all the information, produce it. It, it was, um, it was, yeah, it, it was certainly daunting. Um, I wasn't, ready for the opportunity but we got there in the end and now obviously now we're writing more um stuff I'm a lot more aware of what I need to do mm. um but yeah it was it was intimidating and it was humbling as well um mm. maybe in the hip-hop world me and my mates are like oh yeah Nige he's he's all right yeah he knows what he's doing yeah <laughs> when you get around people that are playing the cello as they're acting and walking backwards and then putting it down and then just picking up the piano and playing and then singing, um, I realised that, yeah, I need to humble myself. <laughs> and it was good. You rose to um, the challenge, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. well, I think, I think if you work hard enough, I think anyone can do it because I have never done any acting before. And I think the week before we were going to go live, I just, I, I broke down. I rang the director. I was like, bro, you're a fool for ever getting me <laughs> involved in this. I don't know anything about acting. Um, and you're just, you're just a crazy guy. I mean, why, why did you take this chance? I'm going to ruin it for everyone. And he was just like, no, I just, just trust in the process. And I feel like, again, that experience is something that I take into my workshops where you feel like you're inadequate. Mm. You know, Dan is Dan, Rachel, Laurie are all really good actors. They've mm. been in quite big productions before. They were just, they were just flying through this work. And I was always floundering with my bits of paper that weren't in the right order. I didn't highlight anything. It, yeah. And um, so, yeah, I always tell people to just trust in the process and, and you'll be amazed at what you can do um, if you really, really try hard. So, yeah, it was cool. So we're talking about the Canary and the Crow and doing the music and getting involved with it. But, like, how did you get involved with it? Like, how were you, how were you found? No, I mean, to be fair, it was really, it was just luck. I'd done this tune called, it was called Kidnap Rap. And it's not an aggressive song, <laughs> all right? It was genuinely, I'm not bigging myself up, but it, it, in terms of the lyrics and the story, 
it, it was like a mini film and it was really, really good. But because obviously I work with kids and the subject, it kind of like, I, I basically didn't promote it at all. But I did send it to the theatre company and said, oh, by the way, I make this like, you know, I make this type of stuff. And they're like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like we like it. And then I did a gig for them as Ender Level Baddie because they, they were doing theatre in nightclubs. They were trying to take theatre into new spaces to get new audiences to understand theatre doesn't have to be hoity-toity. So they do it in a nightclub. They might do it in a car park, all sorts of different. So they, they got me to, um, they did a show called All We Ever Wanted, <clears throat> which was a, a smasher. I think it got five stars in The Guardian. Um, I think it, you know, other bigger companies wanted to buy the show. So I did the gig. And then I, at the end of the gig, they were like, oh, let's let's keep in contact. And then almost a, a year to the day of that gig, I had a contract to say, do you want to write some music? And you may have to do a few lines. I was like, yeah, that's cool, man. Like, of course I want to write. What, you want me to just like make hip hop for a musical? That sounds sick. And then I got there and I got my script and I was like, oh yeah, there's quite a few lines in here, but don't worry. <laughs> you know, I'm only in like three scenes, but as you know, from watching it, <laughs> yeah. if you're not talking, it's because you're doing something. <laughs> you're on the stage. Yeah, yeah, you're on the stage for, for 77 minutes. There's no rest time. So, um, yeah, so I literally just, I almost felt like they just cajoled me into it, really. They were like, just do a bit of hip hop. Then they were like, oh, just do a few lines. And by the end of it, it was like a full production. Um, so, yeah, very grateful for Middle Child for taking a chance on me. And we, we, we're on our third project together now. So it's, it's worked into a great relationship. Yeah. Wonderful piece of luck, but also hard work. Yes. I think you could also say. <laughs> yeah. um, and then and obviously you spoke about being a battle rapper. Yeah. Again, this is going all over the yeah, shop. Yeah, go for being it. a battle rapper. Um, and I just wondered, like, does that mean you're a really good lyricist? Um, like, do you, I think do you, I, used, not? I, I used to be, I feel like we, everyone's got different, music brains so before before I could produce all I had was a paper and a pen and like I really really and also I was a lot freer I was a young guy like didn't have like stuff to pay for and didn't have to behave myself I just was so free and you know lyrics was just a way to be really um free and open and I feel like obviously now doing what I do, I have to be careful. I think it was actually kidnap rap. I got in a lot of trouble from funders as well. I, I mean, they they ripped, they were like, "What are you playing at? Like, <laughs> you're crazy!" And that really, yeah, that just that broke my heart because I was like, "You don't understand it. It's a story, and it's it was. I thought it was brilliant. I still do. I stand by it. But then I realized I've got to be very careful with." what I put out and stuff. So um, I just thought I'll just make beats. So yeah, in terms of, in terms of battle rapping as well, it's a very ego thing, but again, I'm old, I'm older now. I'm, I'm more relaxed. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I have to overcome anything <laughs> anymore. So yeah, I feel like, you know, my missus will probably agree. My lyrics now aren't as good as they used to be, but the music that I compose is really good and I'm lucky to have people like Dan that are 
really good writers. So I like to collaborate with people now. Um, say, look, I can create a, an emotion through music and then they can write some lyrics and then I can even rap those lyrics as well. So that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment. So you had mentioned about like mentors and mentoring and sort of self-development, personal development. Um, what do you think is sort of the best advice that you've like been given or found? And what do you think is the best yeah, like what would you pass on, I suppose? What's the thing that's kind of helped you the most? I def- definitely, we talked about it a little bit before, but yeah, definitely facing the fear and just doing it anyway. Um, I feel like in life, you, you will always get opportunities that are hopefully beyond what you believe you can do. And I would definitely suggest taking them. Um, also, depending on where your head's at, if if you feel like I was quite, a negative person I felt. And I just spent two years just constantly listening to positive messages. And that just helped rewire my brain. Um, my missus found it really irritating. So just be careful guys, because a, a loud American positive voice constantly in the house, um, can be quite annoying. Um, but it helped me and she appreciates it now. <laughs> Nigel, thank you so much for such an inspiring and insightful interview. Although Beats Buster run pause at the moment, like the rest of the world, to find out more, including buying beats such as those in the intro, just drop them a line at contact at beats-bus.co.uk. If you want to see more of Nigel's work, you can follow him on Instagram at 96prez, and prez is spelled P-R-E-Z. Or if you're looking for more information on the award-winning show Canary and the Crow and the production company behind it, Middlechild, all 2021 plans are on their website, middlechildtheatre.co.uk. However, we'll put all of their social media links in our show notes. We hope you've enjoyed the episode and want to keep us on repeat. You can follow, subscribe and like us on your podcast platform of choice and slide into our DMs on Instagram by following us at On Repeat the Podcast. All information will be included in the show notes. On Repeat was made, produced and edited by us and the theme music is an original piece by Ellie's jazz band Fujiyama and wonderfully resampled by Dee the producer for the podcast. All of our guests give us permission to use their music. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to keep it on repeat.